0: This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. We're always looking for new ideas and topics from our listeners, so please reach out, share your ideas. You can email us at SG2perspectives at SG2.com or connect with us on LinkedIn or Twitter and you can find links to all that in the show notes. Now, on to this week's episode.
1: It starts with us so that we set the tone and being able to create that environment and that expectation that we have to be working together as one team. It goes beyond just strategy and finance. It includes the operating team as well as the clinicians. I think this is a true team effort. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives.
0: I'm your host, Trevor Durin. Today, I get to chat with two leaders from Yale New Haven Health. Matt Comerford, who's the chief strategy officer, and Vinnie Tomorrow, who's the chief financial officer. I asked them to join together because I want them to share how their roles have evolved in the last year, how COVID may have accelerated or impacted that. These two and their teams work really closely together. And so I want them to share some of the shared planning process and growth initiatives and how they work in tandem to achieve those. Thanks so much to both of you for joining today. Matt, I'll start with you. Finance and strategy teams often, and I was in this role at a big AMC, work more in parallel, speak different languages rather than in concert. But you and Vinny have a great rhythm of working closely
2: together. How do you and your teams work together? Talk a little bit about the process and about the outputs. Thank you, Trevor, for inviting Vinny and I. You're right. When I listened to your question, historically, maybe different functions operated in parallel. What we've found is that even before the pandemic, we partnered quite a bit on how strategic decisions are made using financial information and vice versa. If you're adding the people component and operations as well, that kind of rounds it out for better decision making. Probably similar just as in other industries have accelerated because of the pandemic, use of technology, use of different work environments. It did the same for us. Two, three years ago, we started a multi-year strategy process that was embedded with finance. Vinny co-ran it, co-led it, because we viewed it as in concert with strategy and finance. During the pandemic, it accelerated a lot of cross-functional teams coming together to address what the issue and being more reactive as in across the country. What we've done now is we've continued the interaction at a high pace. Vinny's teams, my teams are constantly talking to each other as we go and pursue and think even past the recovery, but start planning out for the longer term, which we've started.
1: Morning, Trevor. Matt mentioned common interactions. Our teams were actually working on an hourly basis. One example was some of the predictive analytic work that was coming out of the strategic group was really valuable as we were thinking about how to continue to stress our overall balance sheets and financial statements. We entered this period of time of much unknown. What we were seeing was we were canceling pretty much 50% of our outpatient services. This was going to have a major impact on our overall revenue streams. The predictive analytics became very important from a number of factors. One was it gave us a better sense of resources we needed to shift from the outpatient setting to the inpatient setting, which was a tremendous task that both the clinical and operating team did a yeoman's job addressing. But at the same time, we needed to make sure, although going into pandemic, we had a strong financial position that I'm going to say it as simple as I can say it, that we didn't run out of cash. And that was our concern because of the unknowns and what we were seeing. And that process worked marvelously. We were able to build forecasting tools that on a weekly basis, we could actually update based on a lot of the analytic works that were coming out of the strategy group. We never ran out of cash. We never had that stress on our balance sheet, but just being able to do that allowed us to look at things differently from a financial perspective, look at our overall debt strategy, look at our overall investment strategy. We were able to access markets within the three, four month period of time, we were able to raise close to $800 million to strengthen the balance sheet. At the same time, we were able to work with many of our payers around cash advances, work with our state advocates around additional funding, not only through the state programs, but as well as through the the federal programs. I would use that as a great example that we had it in place prior to the pandemic, but it really showcased the power of these two teams working together and what we were able to accomplish.
2: You know, Trevor, that's an important point what Vinny was bringing up around the strength of the balance sheet. It allows you to make decisions quite differently than if you were scrambling to make payroll. It allows us to make sure that we weren't hesitant at all to make sure we were making the right investments to really improve patient care, especially at that time. We're really proud of the way we came together with
1: Yale School of Medicine to deliver the best care without hesitation. Yeah. And and Matt, the other piece was how we enabled people to make decisions. Some of these tools that we've developed, these were real-time decisions that were happening. In the past, they could have taken weeks and months. The right people were getting in a room and these decisions were being made within hours and being deployed immediately.
0: Vinny, that's a great point. And One of the things that I've heard from leadership teams at health systems across the country is they hope they can keep momentum going from last year where they kind of prove to themselves that they can be more nimble and make decisions more quickly. But at the same time, I've heard strategy teams of the same organizations say, yeah, but that kind of means we're just head down, focused on the next thing, and we're not head up looking forward, thinking down the road about strategy. How do you two own balancing that and keeping the organization long-term
1: focused? Let me start and I'll ask Matt to give us his thoughts. It's a balance and one that we continuously focus on. We have our short-term needs, putting together budgets and making sure we have the resources to deploy the budget for the upcoming year. But at the same time, striking that balance with a multi-year strategic plan. And what we've been able to do is intertwine it with the multi-year financial plan. And I think that's been very successful for our organization. So as we're making short-term decisions, we really know how it's aligned with some of the more multi-year strategic initiatives that we want to do. And we've aligned it with a multi-year capital planning process that's been instrumental. When we're making decisions for the current year, we actually know how it fits in over the next four to five years. To put a
2: a little bit more texture around what Vinny was talking about, we were narrow, right? The issue at hand and what happens to create a lot of focus. I think what we've done this year with the multi-year strategy is actually widen the lens. What do our goals for 26 look like? And we have eight distinct goals. Now, we're narrowing the lens. What do we have to do over the next 12 to 18 months that help turn us around, put us in better position, but also work us towards the 26? What it does is it puts immediate focus, immediate action while we're moving towards a 26 vision.
1: I love
0: it. It allows a narrow focus on some longer term objectives doesn't make it seem so
1: far down the road. That's smart. I would add to that. And it's transparent. It's shared at the highest and the lowest level of the organization. So there's complete buy-in to that. That's exciting.
0: Vinny, revenue pressures are going to continue. Price transparency initiatives aren't going away. There's going to be a shift to increasingly lower reimbursement sites of care, payer mix shifts. How has your work together allowed the strategy team to keep the organization focused on initiatives that are going to make sense in this new financial reality?
1: The one known is that we're gonna get paid less as we go into the future. If you think about our health system, about two thirds of the population that we serve is governmental payers. The other third is the commercial payers, and you know they're all working collectively with large employers to help them reduce their costs. From our perspective, this is another area that we've been collectively working together as we think about how do we continue to live in the FIFA service world and continue to think about the transition into the value-based world. A great example where there is alignment is in the post-acute space. It's aligned in the FIFA service world because we are challenged to get patients discharged out of our facilities to the appropriate setting outside of our organization. And at the same time, there is a large opportunity to connect with patients in a different way. If we use that example, our strategic investments that we've identified as part of our multi-year strategic plan in the home care space is not only benefiting us in the FIFA service world, but also will position us as we can continue to move in the value-based world. What's helping us today, managing our overall length of stay, and at the same time, it's helping us to providing different types of services to patients in the home, which we did not have those capabilities in the past.
2: Vinny has that expertise. We come in with a lot of different ideas, different strategies. How do we fulfill the patient's needs for today, but also in the future? A lot of times, the way we talk about it, Vinny actually gives really good insight on the timing, on how... Sometimes you don't want to necessarily be ahead of the market. Sometimes you can't be. What it does is it helps us actually determine the prioritization with the reimbursement strategy, but also the timing and the cadence in which we implement. How about
0: virtual health? Does that fit into
2: the same mold? You guys are also doing some pretty
0: innovative direct-to-employer initiatives. Does that kind of match up, or are there some more specific stories
1: there that you could share? As we continue to think about the future and we continue to evolve as an organization, these are all tools that are going to help us engage our patients in a different way. It's getting back to how do we provide the right service in the right setting. And ultimately, we always define it the value equation improving outcomes, improving safety, improving patient experience at the same time, being cognizant of the overall costs and the price to the market. This allows us to really drive the value equation really outside of the four walls of our health system. As opposed to just in maybe five years ago, we were really focused on the patient within the five walls of the hospital. If you look at our overall strategy now, it's really forcing us to look at this from a different perspective outside, even before they make it into our organization and then after they leave our organization we want to make sure we maintain that connection, that clinical continuity with the patients that we're serving.
2: And overall, it's really good for the patient at the end of the day. We're connecting with them. It's not about one part of a transaction, but we want to partner with our patients for their overall health needs, whether or not it's the quaternary tertiary services, prevention, where it's easier for them to have accessibility to us. So for us moving our services to where it's most convenient for them, it's just better health for them. And we think if we do it right, then that'll help us overall in the marketplace as we compete with traditional and non-traditional players. You guys have a great rhythm
0: working together. Can you talk about opportunities or barriers either between your teams or with other teams that you want to get more engaged with in the planning and implementation process? What do you think some opportunities are to work more closely together? And face it, you're part of a big academic medical center. There's still going to be barriers. What's something you guys are still working on in terms of working more closely together? Is this
1: therapy, Trevor? Be nice, be nice, Matt. Huh?
2: <laughs> well, I brushed over it earlier. I was saying, listen, when Vinny's bringing a perspective in that influences the timing, the impact, how we implement. When I approach it that way, it comes across really easy. It's like really logical. But in the actual discussions themselves, I think we have to draw a line between what is a disagreement versus a debate, And I think as we do that and gather more facts to make the right decision, that's the art of decision-making and that's the art of team play. Vinny and I have a responsibility that we have to not just trickle it, it has to cascade through our teams as we set good examples because it's not just Vinny and I. I mean, there's a lot of individuals that work together and they have to kind of live to the values we have as it pertains to the decision-making process and working together on behalf of the health system, but most
1: importantly, the patient. I would agree with Matt. I think it starts with us. We set the tone and being able to create that environment and that expectation that we have to be working together as one team. It goes beyond just strategy and finance. It includes the operating team as well as the clinicians. I think this is a true team effort because, Trevor, what you mentioned, there are many disruptors out there. We don't know who they are. We know some right now they're being created. So we need that alignment internally. So I I look at these also as opportunities. When we say disruptors, I think they could also be opportunities for our health system. And we need that alignment. We need that strategic thinking. And then at the same time, marrying it up with ultimately figuring out how we're going to get paid for all of this. You bring those two things together. That's pretty powerful. I'm
0: impressed. Vinny, when we talk about you can develop a strategy, but then implementation can be tricky, especially right now where you're lucky if your balance sheet's in good shape not everyone's is. How had the last year and your position and your ability to try to capitalize on some of these strategic opportunities, how's that impacting your look at capital expenditures for the year? Just like always, there's a longer list than can be fulfilled. How are you trying to prioritize that? Is it different than it's been in the past?
1: Just a number of years ago, it was very uh, DN focused as opposed to a true system view of capital allocation. We've done a pretty good job over the last couple of years, even before the pandemic. It wasn't perfect, but we were moving to a better job of looking at capital and how we allocate capital and, and really aligning it to you need certain capital just for running the ongoing business. But then ultimately, whatever was left over, let's make sure it's tied to the many strategies that we were trying to execute. Matt and I sit on the the system capital committee, and I think that's the balance that we always have conversations. You're always going to have the emergency capital that comes out of the woodwork. The chill is broke down. We have to patient safety issues. We have to make those investments. But then where it becomes more challenging discussion is some of these other opportunities. But it gives us a perspective from a system lens to make sure that as we make these decisions, it is aligned with not only the present, but what we're trying to accomplish in the future.
2: And you used the word transparent in a previous answer, Trevor, and that's probably the biggest thing over the last year or so is all the presidents of the hospitals actually participate on the capital committee. Vinny's team comes with what is the capital, what we're running to date, what was planned, what are the emerging issues we have today, what decisions have to be made today, and what decisions should we start thinking about for the future? What that does, in addition to the information that Vinny's team brings, that overall leadership team, then there's a decision-making process along the way. Things that are immediate and then things that we need to start thinking for over the next six, 12 months. But then we start positioning what do we look like in 2022? So we can start staging it properly.
0: If I'm wearing my optimistic hat, many health systems last year were able to demonstrate to their communities and to disparate hospitals, sites providers across the system, the value of their scale in a new way. I'm hopeful that they can leverage that to start making more of the tough decisions about service distribution. Have those conversations already started for you? Is that a strategic priority? How has your work together enabled those decisions to try to limit some of the many, many external influences that can make those decisions so tough?
2: Quick answer is yes. Now, we have to be really deliberate and intentional on how we do it. We want to make sure that we're providing the best service, and that's based on quality. So you need a certain amount of volume that runs through a site for it to produce the right level of quality, which we're all proud of. We balance that against what local services would be at the other delivery networks or hospitals. We're going through a great deal of analysis right now around what are the services that should be at each of these geographies. And it's not easy. You brought in a couple of factors earlier on is sites of care movement. So we balance those in as well. We work with our local physicians, our Yale partners, and our facility leaders. And we try and make sure that we're offering the right level of service along the way. Now, we have a huge initiative. It's called Care Signature. We want to have one standard of care at the highest level. And that's our guide we're going to live to that principle that we want to have a single standard of care at its highest level as possible, then that's going to require service distribution. And by the way, at the end, it might be difficult decisions, but the true end means that we are providing the right service for that patient's needs at that location.
1: And Trevor, I'm going to use your word. I'm going to be the true optimist. It's also how we deliver those services. It doesn't necessarily need to be bricks and mortars. One of the things you mentioned, virtual care, how do we do things outside of the four walls of the hospital or an ambulatory center, hospital at home, those type of services, home care, ED, urgent care type of visits that happen within the house? We need to start thinking about the words you use before disruptors, how do we utilize some of those? And actually either we build it out ourselves or we partner with folks to be able to provide those type of services. It'll lend itself to a lot of the things that, that Matt basically said is if we put the patient in the middle and say, how do we provide these services? the best way we can to the patient. And ultimately, how are they going to expect those services to be provided? The other piece that's going to play an important role is how do they want to pay for those services? And I think that's going to get interesting too in the future. Yep. And I think leaders like yourselves are going to have to and are getting better at messaging
0: that to the many different audiences that need to hear it, whether it's a local hospital team or system leaders or a local community, they're all going to understand that in a different way. And our ability to take that message but tailor it to different audiences is going to smooth some of those paths. Thanks so much for sharing the way you're working together. Again, this makes me really hopeful that teams are going to leverage this model more and more and they're going to try and chase your exciting results. So thanks for sharing today. Thank you, Trevor. Thank you all.
2: This has been another episode of SG2 Perspectives. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and don't forget to rate and review. We'd love to hear from you. Please connect with us on LinkedIn or Twitter at SG2 Healthcare. You can also reach us via email at SG2 Perspectives at SG2.com. Reach out and let us know what healthcare trends are most important to you. Please also listen and subscribe to our colleague, Dr. Tom Villanueva's Modern Practice Podcast on Vizian's Medical Leadership Channel. Tom discusses key healthcare trends through the clinical leadership lens. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.